In your Bibles this morning, we'll be in the book of 2 Chronicles. Pastor Becker came to me, and I think he probably thought it was a typo, like I was looking for 2 Corinthians. But we're actually in 2 Chronicles this morning, chapter 20. And as we find that place in the Word this morning, let's take a moment. Let's just offer our hearts to the Lord. Father, thank you for the opportunity to tune our hearts to your grace, to your praise. Father, uh, I'm thankful for your children that are able to be with us this morning in person, also online, and those watching at whatever point or listening at whatever point in the future, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. But Father, we thank you that he, he's risen and he lives at your right side and in his risen life is offered to each of us that we can walk in the, the resurrection power of him. Father, as we work out uh, what you've given to us, all the spiritual blessings that you've bestowed upon us, Lord, I just pray for us this morning that you would encourage hearts that need to be encouraged, that you'd strengthen us in the weak places. Father, the parts of our hearts that are burdened this morning, would you alleviate, Lord, and in and, and each of these things, would your spirit illuminate us as we open your word this morning? Would you receive the honor, the glory, and the praise in all these things? In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So I have the distinct privilege coming up here in just a few weeks. You know, uh, not much going on in our world. We have VBS, and just a couple days before that, my family and I get to travel up north no qualifications needed. That's all you say in Wisconsin. We just go up north. And we're going to Northern Grace Youth Camp as a family to family camp. And so I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to speaking that week. And uh, some of our campers, we just got some fresh ones back. Others have, have already been there. And we have others leaving today. What's the theme for camp this year? Anybody just shout it out? Storm Chasers. Why on earth would you ever want to chase a storm? That just sounds crazy. Well, there's a lesson in all of that. So there's a subtitle, which you know me and my subtitle. So this is wonderful. I love they, they They chose well up at NGYC. But it's about pursuing God during life's storms. And so as, as I approach family camp, you don't have to speak on that topic. But uh, we're, we will be talking, and you can see it there, uh, what we're going to look at that entire week. So if you're there during family camp, I apologize. A little bit of a spoiler alert, but uh, we'll even have more time for discussion up there at camp. But we're going to take that angle of storm chasers, but we're going to embrace life's storms. But how do we do that as a family? It's hard enough to walk through life's storms, the challenges, the distresses that we experience but it's another thing to do it in unity, in harmony, in a way that's in grace, glorifying the Lord as a family. So how do we do that? And what kinds of storms do we walk through? So this morning, one of the biggest passages that I've been burdened in, and really this whole chapter kind of sets the outline for, for where we'll be that entire week at camp. But it really uh, puts flesh. It fleshes out what does it look like to seek God in the midst of a storm. And specifically, the, this storm 
we're describing as insurmountable circumstances. That resonates a little bit with me, doesn't it? Where we are walking into maybe a season of life, a period of life of, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get up over this. I don't know how I'm going to get around it. Certainly can't go back. Where am I going to go? How does this work? How do we move on from here? It seems insurmountable. And we're going to see through Jehoshaphat, a good king, we're going to see how God worked through him and, and the, the example, a pattern of sorts, that uh, he demonstrates for us and a lot of encouragement. But before we get started, we, we need to talk a little bit about the nature of life and the nature of storms that we go through. As you and I walk through life, we are presented with countless stresses and messes, fears, and anxieties. Bet you in your mind right now, you're already thinking, yep, yep, got that, got that, yep, I know all about those. I have those. Me too. Like a diamond that's formed, remember it's that coal, and and what's the recipe to take that coal into a beautiful diamond? It's time and pressure, right? Except our human heart, our sinful bent heart that naturally moves away and uh, away from God rather than towards God, that bent of ours takes those two elements of time and pressure. And when we add it to fears and anxieties, we have a wonderful way of taking that and instead of making it a beautiful diamond, we make a nice boulder. I have to say thank you to Matthew and a couple of the, the wool gas boys who are making Rocky Railway boulders for us. This is beautiful. You didn't know I was going to use them this Sunday. But we, we have a way of transforming all these burdens into boulders. All right? So they, they just keep coming. All right? We have one. They continue to amass. We have all of them. And then the human heart does even something more strange. Whenever we have anxieties and we have things that are stressing us out and that are weighing heavily upon us and we turn them into these heavy boulders, these, these things that are very difficult to move, our human heart does something else. It becomes a collective toddler. Have you ever been with a toddler on a nature walk before? What does a toddler do? Any rock, any leaf, any stick, any acorn cap is now a thing of beauty that is to be kept and held on to. So now the burdens of our heart, as we're looking out, and I'm stressed about how we're going to make ends financially meet and how we're going to pay our bills. And that time and pressure turns it into a burden. Well, the next thing our heart does, it says, hey... I'll keep that for later. Don't worry. I got this. I'm really struggling with my kids. I don't know if they know the Lord. Or it looks like they're ready to walk down a path that is not glorifying to the Lord. And I am worried about the devastating effects of sin that could hold my child back for their life. And we put it into our back. And over time... We put that backpack on and we carry the weight 
of all of those rocks, we carry the weight of all of those boulders on us to the extent that we are so heavy laden, we're so burdened that we can't move any longer. Have we ever been burned to the point where we feel basically crippled before? So overpowered by the things of this world and the burdens, the fears, the stresses. And the thing is, is we might run out of room in our backpack, but those burdens, those boulders, they keep stacking up and maybe they're all around us. So it looks like we can't even move our feet. We can't retreat. We can't move forward. And they just keep stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. That is a storm of life that I think to one degree or another, we can all appreciate. We can all identify with what that looks like. What we're going to see from God's word this morning is how do we embrace all of those boulders that comes and how do we get rid of those boulders? Because we hear things like Christ in his earthly ministry saying like, come to me, my, my burden, my yoke is easy. Is this easy? Anything but. Paul says, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has set you free. Is this liberty? Is this freedom? Now, I know he's talking about the law there, but it goes so much further than that. It goes into the depths of the human heart. It goes into being free from sin in my practical daily living. Is this freedom? Well, as we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 this morning, let us walk through and we will see how Jehoshaphat, how he handled these burdens and these rocks that, and these circumstances that just mounted up and it seemed as if there was no victory. You couldn't get past it. What did he do? What must we do? in our lives with these burdens. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, we're going to see that Jehoshaphat was presented with a perfect storm. Let's read verse 1 and 2 together. It says, It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, uh, with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hezazan Tamar, which is Engedi. Jehoshaphat is a king. He's king of Judah. And he's doing an okay job. He is, a, he is a good king. He's not perfect. It comes out to light both before this chapter and at the end of this chapter, uh, uh, some of his shortcomings. He did great to point his nation back to the Lord, but yet he didn't take things all the way. There are some areas that weren't completely dealt with, and it showed up. But yet, at the end of the day, Jehoshaphat was a man. He was a ruler, a king of Judah that had his heart set and bent towards God and right living, righteous living. And so here he is as king, and not only is he about to face a battle, he doesn't have just one uh, other enemy 
coming for him. All right, we've, we've heard of the Moabites, we've heard of the Ammonites before, and, and then it just talks about there's others. Later on, it talks about the people of Mount Seir. All right, so there, there's all sorts of different people. And this is where we're going to see under this idea of a perfect storm, that in life, we can have one setback. You know, one struggle might or will prove to be difficult, right? It's not easy. Oh, man, I'm sick right now. It, that is a burden to bear to have physical infirmity. And that is difficult. Yet it compounds. And just as a snowball at the top of a hill starts rolling down and it gains more snow. And as it gains more snow, it gets more mass and more momentum. And it starts going faster and faster until you just have this uh, again, a snow boulder just barreling down, taking everything out in the path ahead of it. That's the idea of a perfect storm. Isn't that kind of a paradox, even in itself? A, a storm. That's not necessarily, that's not a good thing. That's, that's a result of sin in this world. And then a perfect one of those. But what we really I, I mean when we say a perfect storm is, you know, it's, it's one bad circumstance coupled with another bad circumstance and another bad circumstance that makes this chemical circumstantial uh you know cataclysmic collision of circumstances that just makes this insufferable insurmountable right and so that that's the idea of here Uh, jehoshaphat one enemy I can deal with that. that. That's no problem. We've done that. that. That's Israel's history time and time again, isn't it? You know, a little skirmish comes up and they deal with it. But now we have the people of Moab. We have the people of Ammon. And then there's others with them. And these are all strong forces to contend with. <clears throat> the second thing as, as we see that, you know, there's so many things working against us. And I think we can all experience this. I, and, and I'll speak mainly from my own experience. You know, we have a struggle. Maybe there's health struggles. Okay, we'll deal with that. We'll manage with that. You know, I'll seek the Lord. We'll, we'll, we'll be good. God will strengthen us through all of this. But then I lose my job. So now I don't know how I'm going to pay for those health struggles. And now that stress is causing me my own health struggles. All right. And then, I don't know, make up the flavor of the day. There's struggle after struggle that we can all insert our own circumstances where we see, wow, this is shaping up to be, I don't know where we're going here. I don't know how we can get past this. What compounds this problem is as we're walking through and we have these these stresses and the anxieties transforming into these boulders and we're collecting them and we're putting them onto our back. The thing is, is that each of these boulders, each of these things comes with a history, don't they? The next point on your outline says all struggles occur within context, meaning people, places, and problems. The struggles we face in our lives do not happen in a vacuum, do they? Say we're having a struggle with maybe a brother or sister, 
in our family. The family dynamics are struggling, and, and they always do this, and, and we're set at odds with one another. And then another struggle comes in where the family has to work together and they have to figure it out. But yet, we still know that that history exists, right? All sorts of stuff come up to mind whenever we think about that brother or sister. It's just human nature. Unredeemed human nature, but it's human nature that these things happen. Places have the way, oh, I, I don't want to go there again. You know what happened there? problems. Oh, I've been in this circumstance before. Time to run and take cover or get out of here. Got to protect myself because I don't want to I don't want to feel what I felt last time I walked through this sort of storm. Jehoshaphat, he's sitting here, he's looking at he's all right, there's there's all of these armies oh uh coming after me, and they've all malaligned themselves. There's a coalition of these people coming after me. His very kingdom was threatened. It says that they were in in Gedi, which is about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. That's not very far to have multiple armies, multiple dominating powers to align forces to come after you. His very life was at risk, and, uh, and his nation, his people, his kingdom was at risk. But even at that, when he thinks of Engedi, he's going to think, well, you know what? That place has a history. And I was sure hoping that my life didn't have a story to tell of a history in that place. Do you know what else happened, happened in Engedi? It was a source and a scene of conflict over the years. Do you remember when David was fleeing from Saul and there was this going back and forth in the kingdom as it was establishing? And David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but what did he do instead? He sliced off a piece of his robe, of Saul's robe, and he spared his life. Guess where that was? And in Gedi. That happened there. Way back before, when Abraham and Lot, uh, Lot continually got himself into problems all the time, didn't he? And Lot uh, got captured by a coalition, a band of other kings. And Abraham had to go and rescue Lot from that band and coalition of kings. That happened in En Gedi. And so you have all of this like, I really don't want to get mixed up. With all of us, I don't want any part. But at the same time, En Gedi was also a beautiful thing. There, it's a mixed bag. There's there's pain, but there's beauty. There's pleasure. There's bounty associated with this with this place of En Gedi. Uh, it was famous for its gardens. In the Song of Solomon, chapter one, he's talking about beautiful gardens. En Gedi is actually what's physically uh, specifically described there. It also has prophetic significance in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, that there will be prophetic bounty during Israel's restoration. And that is spoken of in and Gedi. So isn't this just like life? We have circumstances, we have storms, and there's always reminiscent echoes of, I've been through similar things before. Some of it good, some of it bad. And as Each person, place, thing has that mixture of good and bad, and they all combine. Do you see how burdened we can become in all of these things? 
really quickly, I'll reference here the Moabites, the Ammonites. There's also history with these people. Uh, Israel had a, a, a very bad uh, track record of intermarrying with these people. And they were kind of constantly a thorn in the side. They were pagan influencers in the nation of Israel, in the nation of Judah, as the, as they, um, as, as the nation split. But did you know that both Moab and Ammon are descendants? They came from the grandsons of, anyone know? Lot. All right, so these people actually came from Lot. And and we'll see in the, the defense that Jehoshaphat gives here for these people, you know, we don't always understand what God's doing in this passage, and that comes to light uh, as we'll read here. But it's, it, it's just experiencing this mixed grab, uh, grab bag. But also, Israel, they experienced covenant renewal. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, and the nation of Israel, it's one of those times where kind of like all the terms are given again and saying, hey, this is what God expects of us. And the nation rallies around and say, yeah, we're going to do it. There was renewal in the land of Moab by, or at the place of Moab, by the nation of Israel. So again, all of these mixed things, this is a history Jehoshaphat would have been a smart, educated, understanding man of all of these things. And so as you and I walk through the storms of life, we have to recognize the baggage that's there, the histories that's there, and we have to. Because we've got to do something with it. If we don't, it's, it's going to do there. I'm not wearing it, but remember, this is on our back. And this all came bubbling to mind. This all comes forward. Jehoshaphat, man, my kingdom is being threatened. These yahoos have been after us for years. And they just might win this time. What did Jehoshaphat do? Verse 3. We see he has a humble response to the situation. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. Well, that's not so unusual. That's exactly what I would do, right? I'd be scared. Here's the thing. Fear is a natural human response. Something happens. I feel overwhelmed. I feel all these things. Okay. The question becomes, what do I do with it? What do I do with that fear? What do I do with the heaviness that comes along? Just like Paul says, be angry and sin not. We can have righteous anger about things, but what am I doing with it? And this is the thing. Our emotions are given for us as indicators, emotional indicators, much like the... uh, the you know your dashboard while you're driving all right we're driving along if you get in my car right now there's going to be a light that's probably been on in my car for far longer than it's supposed to have been on all right i don't know what it's for it's just there isn't that what we do with our emotions sometimes i don't know what is there therefore i'm just i'm just going to keep it i'm going to here look i'm going to put some tape over it so now i don't have to look at it or maybe I'll just bury it down so we don't have to deal with it. Not Jehoshaphat. He feared, and rightfully so. But what did he do? Verse 3. Jehoshaphat feared 
and set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. I'm not good at memorizing scripture, but I'm better at getting thoughts and phrases and little clips. Do you know what I'm walking away from there? Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. That's what we walk away from, from this passage. He, he, he saw the insurmountable circumstance, and he says, I am going to go to God with this. Filling in our outlines, we must take our fear to the Lord. Interestingly enough, we're going to pretend that this one is a choose-your-own-adventure outline. All right, you know when you're reading a book as a kid and it's choose your own adventure? If you want this to happen to the character, turn over to page 25 and then you find out what happens if you make that choice. But the, the, the fill in the blank, the, choosing, the choose your own adventure of this is I want you to insert your name and the roles and the responsibilities that God has given to you instead of the we. All right, what that looks like is it says, I as a husband, I as a father, I as a leader in my home, I need to take my fear to the Lord. As a wife, as a mother, I need to take my fear to the Lord. Kids, as a child, as one who was growing in wisdom and grace, I need to take my fear to the Lord. This is personal for each of us. It's easy for us, like all of us. Yeah, we take our fear to the Lord. But no, strip that down. Me, I, do I give my fear to the Lord? Also, as a husband, as a leader, and moms and dads, as you lead in unity in your home, Fathers, as we lead our family as ultimate head, we add something to this. We also, as we take our fears to the Lord, we seek God and we lead our families to do the same. Does that make sense? We do this ourselves first. But then if if we're embracing life's storms as a family, it begins at the top each and every time. And dads, we take that fear and we encourage, we model, we humbly respond to the burden that is before us. And we encourage our wife, we encourage our children, we encourage those people whom God has set in our innermost circle. We encourage them to seek the Lord, just like Jehoshaphat, the leader of the kingdom of Judah at that time. Would you look at this? He, so he does it, and he gathers everybody and says, hey, we're all going to fast together, and we're going to seek the Lord on this. And he gathers them, and there's, there's preaching, there's some, there's some teaching, there's some just, it's just uh, corporate prayer that they're going to go through. But look with me in verse 13 of the passage. It says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, they stood before the Lord. 
they came together, and there's such a beautiful picture. There's a lot of reasonings. There's a lot of uh, uh, wisdom and discernment and the fact that we as a church, we choose to come together as a church family of individual families. And we have many generations represented right now in this room because there's something beautiful for a young, growing heart to see what it looks like when somebody a little bit further down the road is walking with God and trusting the Lord. And they're seeking the Lord when they have fear. But there's a a beautiful precedent for that here, and that does begin at our home. Uh, It's important to point out You know, when we're going through these storms, it's easy to just segregate. It's so easy for me to say, kids, not right now. I I, I have other things going. I've got to deal with this. And and I just like kind of box it off and and you stay over there and, and I got to deal with this. Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. And as he sought the Lord, he sought all the Lord's people and he brought them in. And I take great encouragement and conviction as a husband and as a father in a passage like this to lead our families well with what I'm doing with my anxiety, with what I do with the fears that come out in my own life. So with that, Jehoshaphat seeks the Lord, and we praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> and so uh, he also recognizes uh, several aspects of God. As they're praying, um, there's several things. These are powerful prayers, not necessarily prescriptive, but we can describe what's going on, and we can take some cues from this passage. So let's just really quickly read through some of the things that Jehoshaphat is recognizing about God that needed to be brought to attention in this circumstance. And things that, as they were brought to mind, the people just needed to rest in. They needed to accept it. They needed to have faith and believe. And that's what's going on. That's who God is. And so we look and we first recognize and we rest in the fact that uh, of God's power. Look at verse 6 with me. Jehoshaphat is, uh, is praying and he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to stand against you. We need to be reminded as those boulders are filling up and it feels insurmountable. Remember, feel, that's a warning light. Hey, look it up in the manual. The manual points back to whoever wrote it. All right, I feel something. We've got a manual and we've got the author of the manual. We take it, we seek it, we seek the Lord, we go to God with that. And one of the things we need to recognize when we're walking through a difficult season, God is able. Basic Sunday school little song. He's able, he's able, I know he's able. I'm just losing my voice. Doesn't make the impact of the truth any less. He is able to do what we need. I know, and I love that Jehoshaphat, he's, he's like saying it out, he's throwing out these rhetorical questions like, are you not? And of course the answer is, of course he is! Because that's who he was. 
Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And you gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. They're calling upon God's faithfulness in that. They're saying, God, look at what you did. We've seen you do it before. And look at you. You promised it and you did it. You are faithful you're all powerful. Verse 8, and then they dwelled in it, and, and they've built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Here's that next snippet for you to really get down in your heart, for you to memorize, I can't get it all, but I can get this idea. And we cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, we know that there's covenantal promise going on of those who bless the nation of Israel and those who curse the nation of Israel. There is all of that at play. But we're walking away looking at the principle of a God-bent heart, of walking with God. And when we cry out to him in our affliction, in our affliction, he will hear. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness, God's ever-presence in our lives, God's character. Filling in these lines, we, we rest and recognize in God's power. We saw that in verse 6. We rest and recognize God's character. That was He's faithful, he's omnipotent, he's good, he's benevolent, he is unchanging. He did it for Abraham, a friend of God. He will do it for us today when we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. How not much more so? Get this in verse 10 and 11. We see that God is sovereign. God is on the throne no matter what. Even when we don't understand it and he can do and will do as he pleases. We have the promise of God, knowing that he will still work all things together for good, and that he will glorify himself through this. Look at verse 10. And now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. I love it. He's... Jehoshaphat is literally telling God what the problem is. He got specific here. It's okay for us to get specific with the Lord on these things. Paul said, and by prayer and supplication, he gets specific. Let your requests be made known to God. But he said, now here are all these people whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. He said, we wanted to take them out years ago. But for whatever reason, God, and we know that reason was because God had actually made a smaller promise to Lot. He said, but, but you wouldn't let us get rid of them then. Verse 11, here they are rewarding us 
I love like almost the sarcasm in that. Like we couldn't take them out. Now here they are saying thanks by trying to get rid of us, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us. There is an assent, there is an understanding and a recognition that God is on their throne. They didn't understand why God said, yeah, it's okay for you not to destroy them now. It didn't always make sense. And do we always understand all of those rocks and the insurmountable circumstances ahead of us? Certainly not. We don't. But we know that God reigns supreme. He sits on his throne and we know that he is good in these and we have to have this bedrock that we can be secure in because otherwise the storms of life are going to come and we will be tossed to and fro. we will be swept away by the crashing boulders as they come or we will be weighed down and we'll just drown under the weight and the pressure of these things But we recognize, just as Jehoshaphat did, the power of God. And look at this. It doesn't stop there. They didn't just say, God, look at all these things about you. But there is a recognition about themselves in this situation. Verse 12 says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. There's your third nugget to commit to your heart. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed upon you. Not on the boulders, not on the water that's rising, not on the blowing winds, not on the fact that it feels like I'm going to collapse under the weight of that backpack. Because I can get rid of that backpack when I recognize I can't, I don't know what to do, but God, I'm going to come after you. And we know that God is good and God provides us what we need, particularly when we're talking about the things of the heart, when we're talking about the burdens and the weight of these things. God has provided through the cross of his son Through the very resurrected life of Jesus Christ, he has provided us what we need for victorious living, for glorifying him and allowing us to embrace the storms of life because he is holding us and we are walking through that storm with him. God doesn't promise us that the storms are going away. In fact, Scripture, time and time again, both under the kingdom and as we look under grace, it's very clearly evident a storm's a coming. Storms are on its way. Storms are a part of this. But the greater part of this is him. When we seek after him and we rest in him, he sustains us, he holds us up, he unburdens our hearts, and we walk through the storm together. With him. That is a humble response. Now, in this passage, we quickly move through here. There is a divine promise given, verses 14 through 17. In this, God says, This battle is not yours to fight. I 
am going to win it for you. If you're taking notes this morning, God removes the burdens that do not belong to us. Again, in this context, he's saying, you're not even going to pick up a sword to fight this. It looks like everyone's going to win because there's so many of them and they're so powerful, you're not even going to pick up a sword. You don't even have to. That's not the promise to us, but the promise is that he will sustain us. He will work this for our good and he can and will do all things through us, through Christ. God's presence further removes fear and anxiety. The next point on your outline, God's presence further removes fear and anxiety. Would you look at me at verse 17? You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. This is not the first time that was repeated in this passage. But he repeats it again and says, Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. Do the thing. Go out, walk like you're going into battle. For the Lord is with you. lot to be said about this. But this... Number one, he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There is a principle that runs throughout the narrative of reconciliation, the whole redemptive plan of God from the garden to future eternity. And there is a principle where we, what did he say to the nation of Israel? He says, be still and know that I am God. There's something very powerful, and I'm going to say that there's something really practical in that for us, because as, as there's rocks, say I am just hedged in. There's rocks, there's boulders, and I, I can't get anywhere. I can't move. Do you know what I still personally like to do when the circumstances don't let me retreat? I can't move forward. I can't get away. Do you know what I'm still going to do? I'm going to still sit there and wiggle and try to get myself out of those rocks even though I can't move my feet. That's just human nature. That's, that's my sin saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I will. But the encouragement here, the, the Sabbath, God's going to get this battle. He's winning for the nation of Israel on this one. And, and he says, uh, be still or stand still. And we've talked about this before. Just that blessed quietness, holy quietness, right, that we sing about, there's an encouragement, and there is something prescriptive in that for us, that we, in these storms, we need to seek stillness. We need to seek the peace and the rest of God himself in these circumstances. God's presence further removes fear and anxiety. Do you remember Philippians chapter 4? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. All of this. That's exactly what this is here. But before that, he says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. 
And we've talked about this before. The Lord is present. He's there. He's at hand. And that is exactly what is being drawn about right here. God is there. Are we seeking him? Well, the people respond unexpectedly to this. They responded in faith. They responded in belief. That wasn't always the pattern that the nation of Israel had. But God used them, and they saw God, and they were willing to trust him in these moments. Verse 18, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping him. They accepted it. They took it. They received it. They they took it by faith. That faith was then expressed out in a heart of praise. Because you know what happens next? The sons of Korah, the Levites, and, and, and all these people, they lead the people in a great shout and cry of praise and worship to the Lord. Had the battle even been won yet? No, that's going to happen tomorrow morning. But they are praising God and they were rejoicing God and they could not have done that if they did not believe what God had promised them. And that's true of you and I. When, when we recognize, no, God's going to work this for good. God's going to strengthen me through this. I can, I can stand in the freedom of God's grace right now. That frees my heart. It takes it off of the circumstances, off the insurmountable things, and it shifts my heart up to him. And when I see him and I focus on him, I can, my heart is free to praise him because I'm not bound by the circumstances and bound by my own inability. Faith expressed through a heart of praise leads us through life's storms. And in fact, praise is what led the nation into battle. Look at verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. What was that response I said we needed to have? Oh, that's right. Faith, belief, trust. He said, believe in the Lord. Verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Did you catch what happened here? He, he said, you know, we need to trust the Lord. We're moving forward. Let's go into battle. Hey, choir, choir meeting, get together. Hey, I know you're not normally part of the whole army thing, but you are today, and you're actually going to lead us into battle by singing a praise song. I'm a musician. Spent my life in choirs. Never once did I sign up to lead anybody into any kind of battle with song. Imagine that. But they walked into battle, singing the praises of God because their hearts were set free because they were trusting in the Lord. And guess what happened? The Lord secured the victory. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set 
ambushes against the people. The Lord was working behind the scenes sovereignly through these people. And all of those enemies, instead of combining as one and going after the nation of Israel, what they do? They turned on each other and they were all fighting to the tune that every single one of them died. They killed every last one of them themselves. The nation of Israel never once had to lift a sword or fight in that battle. Yet they won the plunders and the, the riches. It says that they took, it took three days to take the, the plunder, so to speak, of that battle. It took three days to collect it all after that. But through it all, they recognized the working hand of God in that. They recognized the working hand of God, that God did this for them. Now, we know that we're not promised to have grand, victorious, epic, you know, like somebody can make a movie out of the battles that we face in life. No. Our lives are much too mundane. Our lives look like I can get, hardly get out of bed because I'm so, I'm, I'm so weak, I'm so frail, I'm, I'm struggling. Or my memory is really starting to go and, and I, I can hardly keep anything straight or where, where it's at. Or I'm really just, I'm just struggling, I'm tired, uh, my kids are getting the best of me, uh, I feel depleted, I got, I got nothing left to give. All of these, these can easily turn into the perfect storm. And if they don't go into a perfect storm, we can easily just wear these burdens on our back. But what we've learned today is that we feel this and we take it to the Lord. We cry out to the Lord in affliction, as verse 9 says. We fear and we seek the Lord. How do we embrace Life's storms as a family, well, it begins with you as an individual. We embrace the Lord himself. That's how we walk through any and every storm. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are holy. You are all-powerful. Father, thank you for the testimony of a passage of scripture like this. Thank you for how Jehoshaphat led the nation. Father, thank you that he had a heart that sought after you. Father, you know exactly what the storms are of each and every person listening this morning. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for the children that are our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray for each of us that we are willing and able, that we would just relinquish our heart over to you with these burdens. Father, that as we feel these things, we could give them to you. We know you offer us your perfect peace. We know you work your goodness through these storms. Help us to seek you. Father, just as you were glorified in all the land through securing the victory with Jehoshaphat here, Father, would you be glorified in our lives as people see you reigning and you producing your joy, you producing your strength, your light in each of us as we walk through life storms. Father, encourage us. Would we as a body encourage one another as we go through life storms? We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.